Um, so here's something that all of us have in common, right? All of us actually want to be known for something. Now, I don't know if you've spent a lot of time thinking about this or if you've never thought about this um, b- before, but it, it, I mean, think about it for a minute. Isn't it true um, that whenever you come to mind, right, in other words, if you stop and you actually think about yourself for a second, isn't it true um, that there are some adjectives um, that, y- that you want to come to mind? Right? If I were to stop you and say, hey, what do you want people to think about when they think about you, right, you would have some adjectives that pop into your mind whenever it is that you come into your mind. Now, um, these adjectives, actually, these things that we use to describe us, I mean, these are tremendously important. In fact, um, they actually determine a whole lot about each of us. They determine our our social media. Um, They determine what it is that that we hide from other people. They determine what it is that we put out front that we're hoping everybody sees right away. Um, They determine the things that we listen for in our conversations. They determine um, the things that actually hurt us personally. Right? These are adjectives are tremendously, tremendously important um, for, for all of us. And the truth is, um, th- th- this list right, of how these things impact each of us, um, they, this can go on and on and on and on. So here's the question that I wanted us to start together with today uh, as we kick off this brand new series. Um, what is it that you want to be known for? Right? What, what is it that, that you personally want to be known for? Right? And so in the spirit of transparency, I thought what we would do together today as we um, kick this whole thing off is I'm going to start with me, and I'm going to tell you what I want to be known for. Um, and, and then what I thought is that we would actually start with you, and I'm going to hand you the microphone, and you're going to stand up, and, and you're going to tell us all what it is that each of what you want to be known for. Right? So I should know who I'm talking to right here. And then right, everyone's going to just take the microphone, and we are going to all share together um, in public what it is that you and I want to be known for. Now, obviously, I'm not going to do that because I love you too much to do that to you. Um, but I am going to tell you what it is that I want to be known for um, because I, I think this kind of sets the, 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 the stage for what it is that we're going to talk about together today and over these next several weeks. Um, and, and when I thought about this question, I thought, okay, if I'm going to ask people this, then I need to be kind of prepared um, to, to actually on, uh, to honestly answer this myself. And so uh, I thought about this uh, quite a bit during the, this past week. And, um, and, and interestingly enough, the first thing that popped into my mind when I thought about this question is certainly not the most important thing. Um, uh, but it is actually something that, that is true of me. And, um, and it actually, uh, it, th- this goes back to my childhood. And, and I've never shared this before. So I'm just going to ask that you not tell anybody, right? Just kind of keep this, um, just keep this between us because we're friends. Um, and and I, th- I think I know why. Um, I think I know why th- this is. And again, I- I've never told anybody this story. Um, but when I was growing up here in Troy, I went to Big Beaver Elementary School, which used to be at 16 in Rochester. It's long been torn down. And when I was in kindergarten there, uh, my kindergarten teacher, um, I had homework, right? We had kindergarten homework, which is basically like coloring pages. And she would routinely, during the course of the day, tell me that I was doing, I needed to change what I was doing or fix it or like redo it. Um, and then midway through the, the year, um, she had a, a parent-teacher conference, um, called my mom in, and, and she told my mom and, and you know, by proxy my dad um, that they should be prepared because I was never going to get anything better than a C in school and that I was not college material. Uh, and so the truth is, right, the truth is I've never really felt um, like I was actually smart. And so um, when I thought about this, I thought, you know, um, one of the things I actually, I, I would want um, people to think about me or what I would want people to know about me um, is, is that I'm smart, which, which is kind of silly, right? Because um, it really doesn't matter. 
Um, and then, of course, I, as I thought about this more, you know, I really want people to think about me as being a good husband and being a good father, because those are actually things that are um, tremendously important to me. In fact, um, I will often ask myself the question, um, if I'm in a situation I don't know what to do, um, I, I will say, okay, what would a good husband do in this moment? Um, what, 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 what would a good father actually do in this moment? Because those are things that I, I do um, really care about and, and that I want to try to be known for. Um, and so what is it that you? What is it that, that you? What do you want to be known for? If you had to actually answer, if you had to answer this question, right, if you're at home right now and you had to look at the people in the room with you, if you had to answer this question, um, people that you know, maybe strangers that you don't know, how would you answer this question with a friend? How, how would you answer this question um, with a complete stranger? Right? Or to take it maybe a, a little bit deeper, um, what do you actually do then when you don't measure up? Right? When you think about you and some adjectives come to mind and, and you know that the, the you that other, you want other people to see, right, that that doesn't kind of match up with who you actually are on the inside, what, what do you do? I mean, what, what, what do you do? Right? What, what do you spend your time hiding or protecting or covering? Right? Let me be even a little bit more specific. What do you do um, when you don't actually measure up to you? Right? And the truth is, I know what you do, right? Because you do the same thing that I do. We hide and we cover, right? And sometimes, sometimes we lie, right? We pretend. We start managing our image, right? But see, the problem with managing your image, I don't know if you ever thought about this, the problem with managing your image is that managing your image actually makes you imaginary, and when we begin to manage our image, because we know that we're one thing on the outside, we want people to see something on the outside, but we know that we're not that on the inside. When we start to manage our image, that makes us imaginary. And it is impossible. As hard as you might try, as much as you might try, it is actually impossible to have a genuine relationship. It is impossible to have a genuine friendship. It's actually impossible to have genuine intimacy, even in our most important relationships, as a relationship as a husband and wife, a relationship as a parent um, or a, a kid with our parents. It is impossible to have a genuine relationship if you are imaginary, if you are managing your image. Right? And see, this is the part that we rarely, if ever, stop to actually think about. When we begin to manage our image, that is the moment. Right? That is the moment that we start pretending. And when we start pretending, that is the moment that we stop growing. Right? Because we get older, but we don't get wiser. We get older, but we don't get better. We get older, but we do not get finer. Now, I actually know all about this, and I'll tell you why I know all about this, because the truth is um, pastors, right, just for me to speak on behalf of all pastors everywhere for a minute, pastors, right, we can actually be um, the worst when it comes to this. And the reason we can be the worst, and, and you'll understand this if you're a parent, especially if you're an older sibling, um, you, you'll understand this. If you're an older sibling, you know how you always want your younger brother and sister to kind of look up to you and always think the best of you, or if you're a parent, right, you really understand this because you never want to lose moral authority with your kids. Right, so you're always on with your kids because you never want your, your kids to lose respect for you as a parent, right? Well, see, when you do what I do, right, it's kind of like everybody is your kid. And the truth is, right, the truth is all of us, 
all of us experience um, this same dynamic to one degree or, or another. And to the degree that my lifestyle or the degree that my life, um, to the degree that my marriage and my faith, um, to the degree that that actually veers from what I present it to you to be, Right To that degree um, that, that I feel um, like my life doesn't match up with, with what I present to you on Sunday morning, to that degree I feel the pressure to pretend and I feel the pressure to cover and the pressure to hide. And see, don't get me wrong, I, I fully believe um, that you have every right in the world to expect me to do as your pastor, um, the kind of things that I talk to you about doing every single week. Right? I, I fully expect um, th- that those things should match up. Right? In fact, that's a big part of how I actually want to be known uh, as a man and as a leader and as a pastor. But I got to tell you, nobody's that good all the time. Right, I mean, 30 plus times a year I stand up in front of you and I tell you what it looks like as a follower of Jesus to live the way Jesus lived and to do the things that Jesus did. And sometimes even a bunch of you, you'll email me, you'll call me, sometimes you'll stop me in the lobby or in the hallway after church and you'll say things like, okay, Joe, how did you know? Like, how did you know that's what our family was going through? How did you know that's what I'm struggling with? I even had somebody say, hey, did somebody actually call you from my family and tell you that this is our situation? How in the world did you know? And it's like, okay, take a wild guess. All of us, all of us feel the pressure to pretend. All of us feel that pressure to cover and that pressure to hide. Right? Because the truth is, all of us, all of us have gaps. Right? There are gaps simply between what we want people to see about us, what we want people to think about us, the adjectives that we want to present to people, and there are gaps between what we really are, who we really are. And so what do we do? We all pretend to some level. We all hide to some extent. And we all cover. And... Where in the world do we pretend the most? Right here in church. Because look, I can tell all of you are on your best behavior right now. Every single couple looks happy. You all look like you have great marriages. You never fight with your spouse. I can tell all of you are completely content in your jobs. Your jobs are so satisfying. I can see the look on your faces. You get so much enjoyment out of your jobs. None of you have any financial pressure. None of you actually worry about bills or money. I can tell you're all so well off. You have more money than you actually need. Right? Isn't it true? The place, you, you may have screamed your lungs out at each other on the minivan on the way here today, but as soon as that door opened up, you put a smile on your face, right? Because if there was ever a place to pretend, it's church. And see, maybe, maybe, and maybe, I mean, the truth is we pretend in all different kinds of places, but the reason we pretend maybe most especially at church is because we think to ourselves, okay, we think, well, listen, if people knew what our family was really like, They wouldn't like us. If people knew what I individually was really like, they wouldn't like me. Now listen. If people don't know what you're really like, they don't like you. They just like the image of you. They like Instagram you. They like the curated version of you. 
In fact, it's true, and this, this, is, it's, this is completely possible, and this is, a, this is a horrible thing to say. But it's possible that nobody really likes you because nobody really knows you. And so it's true, right? All of us. All of us actually want to be known for something. But what we really need is to be known by someone. We all need relationships where you can just drop the pretense, where we can drop the image, where we can drop the curation, and you can truly be yourself. Now, here's the proof that this is actually true if you don't believe this. When you find that kind of a group of people or when you find that kind of an environment, isn't it true you are attracted to those people or you are attracted to that environment whether or not it is a healthy environment, whether or not it is a healthy group of people? Right? In fact, if you know anything about addiction and recovery, this is why the issue of rehab romance is such a thing. Right? Why is it that people fall in love and rehab all the time? Is it because they're suddenly surrounded by such healthy people? No. No, it's because finally the image is gone. Finally the pretense is gone. Finally people can see, be seen for who they really are. And being known is powerful. Powerful. But see, what we really need is more than simply being known. Because, I mean, think about it. Just be whoever you want. Just do whatever you want. You know, we don't care. That's actually not really being known. And the truth is that's not actually even love either. What we really need, all of us, is a place to belong. A place where we can truly be known by a community of people who know us for who we really are and who accept us for who we really are. But, and this is the critical difference, right? This is the distinctive. But people who love us far, far too much to just simply leave us the way that we are. That's what we all need the most. Not simply to be known for something, not even to be known by someone or even anyone, but what each of us really need is to be known by some someones who can actually accept us for who we really are, but then who love us far too much to simply leave us the way that we are. That is what it means to actually have a place where we, a place where you belong. Now, when you find that kind of an environment, right, when you find that, that kind of a group of people, and you can truly be who you truly are with that group of people, and they always have your best interest in mind, and you know it, that is a powerful, powerful thing. In fact, the truth is, right, the truth of Scripture is that you and I, we were actually made for exactly that. And see, here's the part that maybe you're not going to believe, especially depending on what your background is or what your previous experience um, with church happens to be. And so I might have to convince you of this. I understand that. Um, but the place where this is supposed to happen the best, right, is in fact the church. The, the church should be, right, the church should be the place where we have the most freedom to be transparent, the church should be the place where people are the most committed to becoming not only everything that they want to be, but everything that our Heavenly Father has created them and made them to be. And listen, I understand if this has not been your experience with church in the past, or if you had a bad church experience, maybe you used to go to church and you stopped going to church for some reason, I totally understand that. But at the heart of this thing that we call church and that we think of as church is exactly what we're talking about together today. The church is supposed to be the preeminent environment where knownness can happen. 
The church is supposed to be the preeminent environment where people can not only be known, but where they can be loved the way their heavenly father has loved them. And the reason I say that is because in, in the first century, right, with the first church and the first pastor of the first church in the first century, who also happened to be one of Jesus' brothers by the name of James, he says this to church. He says, church, this is what I want you to do. I want you to confess your sins to each other, and I want you to pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, listen, I know what you think when you read this, because you think, if you're honest, you think the exact same thing that I think. You think to yourself, okay, I'm not going to confess my sin to anybody. What, are you crazy? I'm going to keep my sin between me and God, because I don't want anyone to know what I'm up to. Right, but listen, that is the exact same thing as saying, I don't want to be known. I do not want anybody to know me. I don't want anyone to know what's going on in my marriage right now. I do not want anyone to know what's happening with my friendships right now. I don't want anyone to know that I am so lonely. I am so incredibly lonely, but I'm surrounded by people constantly. I don't want anyone to know what's going on with me. I do not want to be known. James says, let me tell you what the church is for. This is what the church is for. It's for confessing your sins to each other and praying for each other, praying for each other based on what you know about each other so that you may be healed. And the truth is, all of us, right, all of us have things that we want to be healed of, don't we? And James says, if we actually want to be healed from those things, don't just tell them to God, tell them to each other. Right? And we think, well, if I do that, then what are they going to think of me? They're going to think you're honest. That's what they're going to think. They're going to think that you're actually a lot like they are. That's what they're going to think. And then James goes on and listen to what he says next. He says this. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Right? So here's the obvious question. Who's actually praying specifically enough for you to pray specifically for the thing that's causing the gap? And if your answer to that question is nobody, because nobody actually knows, that's a problem. Right? That's a problem. And see, the irony is that in here, in this room, right, and even in many rooms for those of you who are watching with us online right now, in this room especially, we can't actually do many of the most important things that the first pastors of the first churches told us church is supposed to do. A little bit later on, another pastor in the first century said this. He said, okay, let us, not, let us consider how we may actually spur one another on towards love and good deeds, right? He says another, okay, you know as a follower of Jesus, life is all about um, living and, and loving people the way that Jesus loved us, doing good for and doing good to other people. And so he says, listen, I want you to figure out, right, how to spur one another on. Right, this is not, I need somebody to stand up in front of this big room of people um, who don't actually know you and that you don't actually know. And I need somebody to strap one of these things onto their head um, and convince a whole bunch of people that they don't have a relationship, that they're supposed to love each other and do good to one another. Right, that is not, that is not at all what uh, the author of Hebrews was saying. He's saying, listen, this is a one another thing. 
I want you to actually be engaged in each other's lives to such a degree that you're able to urge or to spur or to encourage one another into living lives that are characterized by love and into living lives that are characterized by good deeds. And see, the truth is we can't do that in here either. Listen now he continues this. He says this, let us not give up meeting together. Right? In other words, if you've got this picture that church is just uh, me and God have this great relationship and so everything between me and God is fine so I don't actually need anybody else to be connected with me or my relationship with God. The author of Hebrews says, listen, you do not understand church. Right? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Now, when the author of Hebrews wrote this in the first century, um, This idea of meeting together, what we are doing now had nothing to do with what the author of Hebrews is talking about, right? Specialized buildings where the followers of Jesus would assemble together would not even come into existence for 250 years after this statement was written. When this was written, the followers of Jesus, they gathered together in homes. They gathered together in courtyards. They gathered under trees. They gathered in fields with the express purpose of encouraging one another. I mean, think about it. If I just stood up here for a second and I said, okay, um, here's what I want you to do. Everyone, I'm going to have you stand up. I want you to go find somebody in the room that you don't know right now. And I want you to urge that person on. I want you to encourage that person um, to living a life characterized by love and characterized by good deeds. I mean, how superficial would that be? Right, that would be like, hey, yay God and yay you, right? What was your name again? I I don't know that I caught that, right? We can't do that. We can't do that in here. It's never gonna happen in here. Then the Apostle Paul, right, who... If anybody was ever an expert pastor, the Apostle Paul is like the expert pastor. The Apostle Paul says this. This is what I want church to look like and feel like and act like. He says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, those of you who live by the Spirit, right? In other words, those of you who have submitted yourselves, right, who have submitted themselves um, to the will of God. That's what he's talking about. Those of you who live by the Spirit, you should restore that person gently, Right, to which we think, okay, listen, if I'm ever caught in a sin, right, the last thing I want to do is actually see that person again. But the Apostle Paul says, no, if you're caught in a sin either because um, you confess it or because other people just simply discover it, those people who are the followers of Jesus who know you and who are connected to you, it is their expressed responsibility to help you move past whatever it is. Right? And again, you can't do that. We can't do that in here either. But he goes on and he says this. He says, I want you to actually carry each other's burden. Come on, if I'm going to carry your burden, I actually have to know what your burden is. If you're going to carry my burden, you have to actually know what my burden is. And then don't miss this. This is huge, what he says next. Carry each other's burdens and in this way, Next screen. In this way, in this way, by carrying this way of carrying one another's burdens, in this way, you will, don't miss this, fulfill the law 
of Christ. Now, the law of Christ, this is really important. A lot of us, even if we've been in church for a long time, we don't understand what the law of Christ is. The law of Christ is this. Don't miss this. On the night that Jesus was crucified, he looked at his followers in that upper room, and he said, from now on, I'm giving you a new command. From this point forward, new command. Love one another, period. What does that look like? As I have loved you, Jesus said, so you must love one another. This is the law of Christ, right? This is the law of Christ, that you are to do for one another what God, through Jesus, has done for you, right? That is what, it mean, that is what the law of Christ means. So, in other words, if you're ever reading the Bible and you don't understand what you're reading, if you open the Bible and you wonder about what it is that you're saying or what you're supposed to do in a specific situation, if you are a follower of Jesus, then it comes down to this. I am to love other people the way that God, through Jesus, has loved me. That is the law of Christ. And the Apostle Paul says, when you carry each other's burdens in that way of carrying each other's burdens, you are actually fulfilling the law of Christ. You are loving another person the way that God, through Jesus, has loved you. This is huge. And we can't do that in here. The only way for you to carry another person's burden is to actually know that burden. I can't carry all of everybody's burdens. Right? You've got to actually know what each other's burdens are. The Apostle Paul goes on and he says this, I want you therefore to accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Think about this for a minute. Do you know why? Your heavenly father has accepted you just the way that you are. It's so that he can transform you into who he wants you to be. Right? Think about this. The, the reason God has accepted you just the way that you are is so that he can transform you into who he wants you to be. He doesn't accept you just the way that you are so that you can stay just the way that you are. Right? A good parent would never dream of doing that. A good parent always wants their child to grow and to mature. The reason why God has accepted you just the way that you are is so that he can transform you into who he wants you to be. And do you know where you will best experience God's unconditional love and transformation? It's when you're actually connected to another group of people who are committed to experiencing God's unconditional love and transformation. Transformation actually happens best when you are connected relationally to other followers of Jesus who are wanting to be and looking to be transformed. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. I love in here. Okay, in here is something I look forward to every single week. I, I literally do. I love what we do in here. But in here, as great as it is, as critical as it is, is only a part of what the first pastors of the first churches told us church is actually supposed to be. The place where someone actually knows who you are individually, they know your burden. They know what you're carrying, and they're helping you to carry your burden in that place, that place where you feel loved and accepted, but loved too much to simply stay the way that you are. That is what your Heavenly Father wants you to experience in church. And the only place that can happen, in fact, the place that that will happen, it is the place where you belong. In a group, 
When you are connected to other followers of Jesus, that's where the action is. This is where the essence of church is. This is where life-on-life transformation actually happens, where you can carry one another's burdens, where you can actually confess your sin, and you're going to discover they're not going to kick you out of the group. In fact, somebody else is going to say, oh, yeah, me too. And somebody else is going to say, yeah, me too. And see, it's in that moment that you're going to discover I'm not the only one who's struggling. We're not the only couple that is struggling. I'm not the only one who feels like they're going to spend the rest of their life alone. I'm not the only one dealing with what it is that I'm dealing with right now. And at the same time, right, do any of us really want to just be left where we are? I mean, think about it. Do you really just want to be left where you are? Don't you want to become Everything that your heavenly father made you and created you to become. And so it's no surprise, right? It's no surprise that all through the New Testament, all through the pages of scripture, through the words and through the teachings of Jesus, what we discover is that transformation happens best where life-on-life relationships happen. Now, we know, right? We know. Um, that we cannot manufacture, right? We, have no, we cannot program, we cannot manufacture authentic relationships. We cannot manufacture or program transparency. Um, we can't force authentic relationships between people. We can't do any of those things. But here's what we do know and here's what we've heard over and over again. Here's what we've heard from many people like you. In fact, you're going to hear some of these stories in the next several weeks together. Here's what we know from the stories that you've shared. God honors our attempts, And God honors our effort. And God always honors the heartfelt desire of his people who want other people to experience the same kind of love and acceptance that they personally have experienced from their heavenly father and from their savior, Jesus. And what's the result of all this? Real people who develop real friendships that end and result in real change. So, Here's what we're going to do, and here's where we need your help, right? First, the do, right? First, the do. This fall, we want to be able to double the number of adults, small groups that we have, adult small groups that we have available for our church. We want to do that this fall. Now, this is going to be a massive and a huge undertaking for us. This is by no means an easy win for us in any way, shape, or form. Um, But we also know, as I think you also know, there has never been a time in our culture or society where actual, genuine, authentic, transparent relationships are more needed and more necessary than in our world right now. Right? We know that. You know that. But we also know that finding a group like that, where these things can happen, is intimidating and it's challenging and it is not easy. Right? Because one of the parts of finding a group like this is just understanding the chemistry and just kind of breaking the ice with everybody and getting over that initial uncomfortableness. Right? We know that. That's why this summer I want all of you, and by all of you I mean all of you, every single one of you, I want all of you to sign up for a small group meetup. Now a meetup is when a group of people get together for four meetings over the course of the summer, right? Four sessions, 
We're going to give you the material. We're going to give you videos to watch. We're going to give you discussion guides to talk about. And in those four sessions, you choose where you meet, you choose when you meet, and you choose the people who are in the similar age and stage of life that you're in and that you want to meet with. You meet four times. You talk, you eat, you pray together, and you get to know each other. Right? And so a meetup, that's all a meetup is. And then after the fourth session, you get to decide do you want to stay together and perhaps become a small group later on in the fall? Or do you just want to be done? And whatever you choose is fine. Right? That's it. No more commitment beyond those four sessions. That's all that a meetup is. So a meetup is just a chance for you to try out and to experiment with what it looks like to be connected in intentional community. Now, what I want you to do when you scan this uh, right here, and you can do this right now. You can take out your phone in church. It's totally fine. You can scan this with your phone. It will work. And when you scan this with your camera app or your QR code reader, you can even scan it online right now. You will have a chance to sign up and to connect to one of our meetup training events on June the 5th or June the 9th. If you come on June 5th, we will watch your kids for you, we will feed you, and we will feed your children all for free. So you should come on June 5th, even if you don't want to do this, you should just come so we can feed you and your kids, and you as a parent can have a little bit extra alone time, right? So you should all come on June 5th, and if you can't come on the 5th, then you should come on Thursday, June the 9th. Now here's where we need your help. Over the past several months, it has been awesome, and I think many of you, if not all of you, would agree. It, would be, it has been awesome to see the number of people coming back to church, adults and kids and students. It has been awesome. But right now, the number of kids and students who are coming back is far outpacing the ability of our current volunteers to actually keep up, which is awesome. But we need more help. We need a lot more help, especially this summer. So consequently, we are in need of a large number of you to actually sign up this weekend. In the summertime, our preschool and our children's next-gen ministry, they all operate with a program that allows you to volunteer on specific weekends, right? So you can actually help out. You can help mentor kids. You can help teach kids about Jesus and not give up your entire summer. We get that. We understand that, okay? You scan this. All that will do is commit you to having a conversation about what it looks like to talk, to talk, to, to commit you to a conversation with somebody in our next gen ministry just to talk about what it looks like to be a part of helping kids and students over the course of summer connect to Jesus. Our middle school and high school ministries have a tremendous amount of awesome activities, big events, individual events, retreats that they are hoping to do this summer, but none of them. None of them can happen without adults who want to love teenagers and who want to tell teenagers about how much Jesus loves them. Because everybody, every preschooler, every elementary kid, every middle school kid, every high school kid, every college kid, and every adult Everybody needs a place where they belong and they know. I'm sorry. A place where they know they're loved for who they are and a group of people 
who love them far, far too much to just simply leave them that way. All that scanning either of these QR codes, all that scanning this does, either of these two things, listen, all it does is it commits you to a conversation, nothing more. So the truth is, I want all of you, every single one of you, I want all of you to scan these two QR codes. I'll help you do it in the lobby afterwards. If you need help, a bunch of host team people will help you do it if you need help. Scan one of these or both of these QR codes. All it does is it commits you to a conversation. But when you do that, when you do that, you are setting the table to become engaged in a life-on-life relationship where transformation will happen. Transformation for you will happen, and transformation in other people's lives will happen. And when that happens, that's when the church actually becomes the church. That's when it becomes your church, not just somebody else's church. And that's when the church actually becomes family. And that's where we're going to pick it up together next week. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, as I just think about in this moment, Father, this is not what I planned, but you, you know this. You're bringing to mind all the people who impacted my life. Adults that I didn't know, some that I did, um, that spoke truth to me, that spoke words of love to me. And Jesus, you used a bunch of people, um, some that are here right now, um, others that have passed, still others um, that I get to continue to call as friends. You've used so many people to shape who I am as a man, as a pastor, but most of all, as a follower of Jesus. And so, Father, I want to thank you um, for the church, for your church, not for the building, that's silly, but for the people. The people that you have put into this world, not just simply in this community, but into this world, to love other people. Such a big idea, to love other people, Father, the way that Jesus has loved us. The only way that can happen. Holy Spirit, is for you to fill us and empower us and get us over ourselves. Get us over our fear. Give us over our intimidation. Get us over this idea that we don't have anything to offer. Because we don't, but you do. Holy Spirit, you do. So, Father, I ask that as we prepare, each of us, as we prepare to receive the body and the blood of Jesus today as a reminder and as a promise of what has been done for us by Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask very specifically that for each of us, you would bring to mind and you would tell us exactly what you want us to take away from this message, from these words, and from our time together today. And so, Father, as we confess our sin to you, I also ask, Jesus, that you would be speaking to us.
the good news of the gospel is that your Savior Jesus loves you way too much to just leave you a love note. He loves you far, far too much to just tell you that you're forgiven and to let you get on with your life, doing whatever you're doing, being whoever you're being. He loves you far, far too much for that. He tells you you are forgiven, and he tells you you are loved. Those things are true. But he also, he also has made you a part of his body where you can be reminded by another person that you are loved and you are known and you are cared for by your Savior and by your Heavenly Father. So your sin, it is truly forgiven and you are truly loved in Jesus' name.